Welcome to Financial Planning for Oil and Gas Professionals, hosted by certified financial planners Justin Brownlee and Jared Machen of Brownlee Wealth Management, the only podcast dedicated to those of you in the oil and gas profession to help you optimize investments, lower future taxes, and grow your wealth. Learn more and subscribe today at brownleewealthmanagement.com. Welcome back to another episode of FPOG, Financial Planning for Oil and Gas Professionals. This week on the podcast, we're going to talk about RMDs, required minimum distributions, specifically through the lens of how do you think about, how do high net worth families think about these? And I want to pause here, Justin, because we're going to talk about a bunch of ground today, but there are probably a portion of our podcast is young accumulators and their eyes just glazed over and they might be thinking about even hitting the escape button because they don't think this is relevant to them. I think it's important before we even start talking about RMDs to remind, you know, high income, young accumulator millennials that RMDs do in fact matter to you because understanding these are going to help with your lifetime tax rate, right? Decisions that you make in these lower taxes in your seventies is a function of planning that you start doing today, right? Like the other thing is a lot of people are going to acquire assets from their parents and decisions their parents make are going to drastically impact, you know, could there could be multiples difference in the taxes paid depending on uh, what your parents do. And you're ultimately going to inherit these assets. And depending on how it's all structured and the timing of it uh, could be subject to substantial taxation on top of having your own future RMDs to plan for. So if you were a high income millennial, I encourage you to listen in because we'll try to, we'll try to keep it Keep it relevant for all demographics. Justin, but before we get involved in the technical, I think, hey, let's start with an overview of like, what are RMDs? Required minimum distributions. Uh, so distributions from a pre-tax retirement account. Theoretically, this could come into play with uh, inherited Roth accounts, but we'll get into that later. When you think about RMDs, just think it's a distribution that you have to take. You're obligated. You're required to take it. Uh, each year, once you reach a certain age from your pre-tax retirement accounts, usually an IRA um, with some exclusions on 401k, 403b. Awesome. Awesome. So how do they work mechanically, right? Because I think I think one of the root things we should dispel is a lot of things in America's tax code are a function of like there's usually inflation adjustments, like for IRA contributions, for 401k contributions, for tax rates, there's usually an inflationary bump. Is that the same with RMDs? Do you have to just take an inflationary amount more, you know, whenever they start and in subsequent years? So your required minimum distribution is calculated. Everyone has to calculate their RMD on the exact same IRS divisor table. And so you can go to the IRS website, look at their RMD table, and it's going to break out by age what your divisor is. And so a kind of helpful shortcut uh, way to think about this is if you're in year one of taking a required minimum distribution, um, and you know that's been kind of a, a big change over the past uh, year or two, uh, RMDs used to be age 70 and a half. And then they got bumped to age 72. And then more recently, they were bumped to age 73 or 74. Uh, and so if you want to know, well, 
I myself am 77 years old, or if you have a parent who is 77 years old, you can go to the IRS website, look at the divisor table, and you're going to see at age 74, here's the divisor. At age 88, here's the divisor. At age 103, here's the divisor. But I mentioned the shortcut. Um, Your first year of RMDs, you're taking pretty close to 4% of the account balance um, of your total IRAs. So make sure, you know, no confusion there. You don't calculate this on one IRA account. This is all of your IRA accounts. So if you have three different IRAs, you need to know the balance of all three of them. And the balance that you use to calculate this is the ending balance on December 31st of the year prior. Um, And so that's going to give it you the number. Your divisor comes out to about 4% in year one, uh, closer to 5% around age 80. Uh, You get closer to 6-7% in your 90s. Uh, And if you go past 100, uh, you can actually end up taking 20% of the account each year um, or more. Um, So the divisors do get really big. You end up distributing more, a, a, a higher percentage of the IRA each year as you get older. That's exactly right. And to put like dollar terms in this, this makes a huge difference. And a lot of people don't think that far out. But if you have a $5 million IRA at age 70 uh, and you take a portion of that, let me do just some quick math here. If let, We'll keep the math simple. And if you take 4% of that $5 million IRA, that is $200,000. So it's a substantial amount of income. Uh, the problem is if, if you haven't depleted that account and it continues to grow, which seemingly a good thing, uh, if you live to age 90, at age 90, you are required to take 8% of that account, right? So yeah. nearly nearly double. And so that's income of 400000 And if you are a surviving spouse at that point, you are no longer married filing jointly. You are a single filer, right? So you might have be in the highest marginal tax bracket as a, as a 90-year-old if you, don't, if you don't manage this. So it creates substantially different different tax outcomes. So Justin, you mentioned something that's really important, uh, talking about, Hey, like wh- what's like the, so the divisor table, like what, so when does that mean you start taking distribution? So you mentioned a bunch of different numbers. Does everybody kind of take it at the, at the same time, the earliest, the latest time? Um, can you take distributions before then? Great question. So, you know, there's a bunch of different rules that we should touch on with that question. Now, first of all, there's a lot of planning that needs to go in to RMDs in your, and, you know, let's just focus on the word R. It's required. So what this means is when you work, you know, let's say you're at Chevron and you've got your compensation package. So guess what? You're going to file your tax return probably in the next two months. Uh, We're recording this in late January. And your tax returns, you know, pretty set. You've got your compensation packages. Chevron, it is what it is. You're going to pay tax on your salary, your bonus, um, and equity compensation. Uh, and then any investment tax that happened throughout the year. Well, when you retire, you get total freedom on what your tax, tax return looks like. You get to decide. Do I want to take from sources that charge income tax? When I take from them, do I want to take from uh, accounts that only charge capital gains. Um, and so you have so much more freedom when you stop working in terms of how do you structure your tax return? Uh, you get to decide, 
what your taxable income is and what that looks like. But then you hit age 73 or age 74 if you're younger. And that's going to be your very first RMD. So that first that first letter R, required. So once you hit 73 or 74, you are kind of back in that mode that you used to be while you were working in the sense that, hey, your tax situation is decided already. Um, there's not wiggle room here. You are taking a giant distribution. Um, and so, you know, I think the first thing to focus on is before you get to that age, you need to be mindful of what should your target IRA balance be. And Jared, I think the first thing to point out there is if you retire at age 59 and let's say you've got $4 million between 401k pension. And so now you've got $4 million in an IRA, but then you have a couple million in taxable brokerage assets. And if your mindset is, well, the IRA is a, a tax sheltered t- account. It has tax advantages. So I want to let that grow. That may not be in your best interest because if you're 59, well, you've got 15 years, 14 years to let this run. Uh, if it just grows at a, you know, a five or 6% rate, it's going to double. You're going to have $8 million in a pre-tax account. So now you could be looking at $400,000 a year once you hit RMD age as guaranteed you have to take that income. And so the first thing is it should influence the way you organize your balance sheet decades before you get to RMD age. Uh, and it should should play a huge role. It should have a lot of influence in how you decumulate your portfolio. Um, and so when you think about what income should I live off of? Well, I've got this IRA. I've got this brokerage account. I've got this cash account in treasuries. And I have you know a Roth IRA as well you need to be really mindful of which accounts should you take from first, second, and third in retirement uh, because that's going to determine your lifetime tax rate. I've only halfway answered your question, but let's pause there. What things should we kind of highlight and what things should we move on toward? No, I think I think that's hugely important, right? You're kind of so you could take it it's to reiterate, you could take it at 73 or 74 depending on your age. So younger people are going to qualify for that 74 younger or older are going to probably be in the 73 mark. That makes sense. So what you're talking about is really just pre-RMD planning, right? Hey, I'm going to have a bucket of money that I have to draw down on. How do I start planning for that now? Because I think I think tax deferral is such a, you know, sounds so sleek, right? Like like it, like, an, like something you're taking advantage of, you're gaming the system almost, is t- t- taking advantage of a tax deferred account. But what you're talking about with these RMDs is, it can become a tax liability, right? Because Uncle Sam wants to make sure that they get paid on it. So they're going to increase the distribution rate over time. And if that account, if you just deferred taxes infinitely and not thought about, hey, eventually the bill's going to come due, whether it's to me or the people inheriting the account, which we'll talk about here in a little bit. But, you, you know, tax, d- being able to defer taxes is a great thing, but maybe not the ultimate thing, right? And that's why I think you, you the idea you and I talk about, about, lifetime tax rate matters substantially, right? Like if you're in a low income tax year, could be a great opportunity to, to, to pull some income taxes forward. And you know what that'll do, if, if you pull, pull assets from an IRA, that'll increase your taxable income this year, but it'll reduce you know, the IRA balance in future years. So you're doing you know, the 90 year, 90 year old version of yourself a solid by you know, reducing their future RMD. So I, I think you know, there is a lot you can do beginning today to just begin to identify, hey, what is what is my lifetime tax rate? And a lot of people misunderstand 
how RMDs work and just how seismic they can become uh, and how the tax deferral can come to bite you if you're not careful. Not to go total fear monger tax wise here, but I will. Um, the other thing to consider is if you head into retirement as a, as a married couple, it's likely that um, you're going to be in a situation and you, you just don't really know, is this going to be a two-year window or a 20-year window where one spouse outlives the other? And so if you're not mindful of total IRA balances, what can get really tricky is, well, okay, a $5 million IRA balance, it can be manageable. I mean, you could theoretically head into retirement with that balance. And uh, as long as you do some critical annual planning, you, you can be okay with that giant balance. But man, if that grows to six or seven million and then one spouse passes away and now the surviving spouse is uh, filing a single tax return, much higher tax brackets with that same RMD, uh, that can be a big, big factor. And so I think the simplest way to convey, you know, pre-planning uh, when you're in your 50s and 60s Michael Kitsis, you know, uses the term, you should try to find your equilibrium tax rate. Try to find that sweet spot of, hey, when you're working, taxes are super high. When you retire, really easy for taxes to go to almost nothing. Um, but your goal should never be to, to pay no tax in a single year. Um, well, for most of our listeners, that, that, should, that should not be a goal of yours, right? Um, the goal is not to pay no tax in a single year because for most of our listeners, if you do that for a few years, you're signing yourself up for way higher taxes uh, 10 years later. And so you want to kind of find the optimal equilibrium tax rate uh, where, you know, let's say you're retired at 62 to 68 years old and you could have no taxes whatsoever. You're not even taking Social Security yet. Those are years where you want to do things like harvest capital gains. You want to do partial Roth conversions at ultra low tax rates. Roth conversions are emphatically more powerful long term if they can be done at 0%, 10%, 12%. And probably some at 22, 24, but man, they are so much more powerful at 10% and 12% than they are at 24%, 32%. And so kind of taking those really low income years in retirement, filling them up with Roth conversions, capital gains, and then thinking through getting a little more hands-on with how you locate assets in your portfolio, where you're taking income from, um, all of those things are going to play a huge role in getting you to age 74, you're starting RMDs, and now you're in a manageable position. Awesome. I love that. So those are some great tips, just allocating assets, monitoring your income plan, and kind of being thoughtful with distributions and kind of understanding, hey, lifetime tax rate, what Roth conversions are available to me? What assets do I take from? Thinking about, you know, thinking about that in light of, hey, this future RMD That's a great thing. Justin, I want to call out here for our oil and gas professionals that have done foreign assignments. Uh, You made a mention of, hey, you know, RMD is a function of pre-tax assets. So generally pre-tax assets. So pensions and IRAs. Note, non-qualified and foreign pensions generally are paid as a lump sum and they're taxable to you in the year you separate from a company. So people will see, hey, I have I have all these foreign pensions from this assignment I did while I was in Brazil or 
uh, Russia. And they'll say, hey, okay, great. Like I got, I got have this pension, but all of that is generally taxable to you in the year you separate. So that is its own category. But when, when I heard you say pension, my, uh, my spidey senses were tingling and thought, Hey, to our, uh, to our expat, uh, foreign assignment, oil and gas professionals, uh, non-qualified of foreign pensions generally are not ex- not included in this bucket. Okay. With that aside. Okay. So you talked about pre-RMD planning. We, unfortunately, we, or we have some people that already, you know, have great pre-tax balances and they are taking RMDs and we have a, a bucket of clients and there's lots of people who don't really need, they, they might not have known about all these strategies or they might not have started listening to the podcast and they're already taking, you know, distributions of maybe way more than they need because of how much in pre-tax assets they have. Is there anything that somebody can do, you know, currently in RMD season to, to kind of manage the tax, uh, or kind of plan around that? Okay. You're in RMD age. You're in the actual year where you've got to take them. A few things that you need to know. First, uh, this rule governs how RMDs are decided. Uh, whatever comes out of your account first is the RMD. And so what I mean by that is you've got an IRA balance and you could do qualified charitable distributions. We'll talk about that in a second. Uh, You might already have uh, monthly automated withdrawals because you're 74. You might be retired, leaving off of your portfolio. And so it's important to know whatever comes out of your account first counts toward your RMD. Now, let's go on to number two, qualified charitable distributions. So those two are going to really be related. A qualified charitable distribution is a distribution from your IRA that goes directly to charity. If you are charitably inclined and you like, you want, you plan on supporting uh, whether church, local church or charities of your choice, you need to have this on your radar. Um, It's a tremendous way to organize your charitable giving. I mean, you, you really get to have your cake and eat it too. Jared, do you want to do a 30 second overview of what a QCD is, or do you want me to? You got the momentum and you're fired up, man. You got it. I love it. Let's keep the momentum rolling. Um, so qualified charitable distribution, QCD, uh, here's how it differs from a normal charitable gift. So a normal charitable gift, we've talked about this before, hopefully you're gifting stock that's appreciated a bunch instead of cash. Maybe you're using a donor advice fund, bunching multiple years into one. But the reason why you need to bunch multiple years into one is because right now we have a big standard deduction. And so if you're not giving, uh, in addition to property tax, mortgage interest, if those itemized deduction numbers are are not way above 28,000 a year, you're not even getting credit for charitable giving. And so when you are giving to charity in a normal non-QCD fashion before age 74, uh, you know, you really need to be careful to even make sure that you're getting any tax credit for your gift. But a QCD makes it way easier because a QCD is you take money in your IRA, send it directly to a charity of your choice, and you are, so one, that's that suffices for the RMD. That counts toward your required minimum distribution. Um, so you're checking that box, but you're also lowering your taxable income right there. Um, and here's where it gets interesting. You could actually do a QCD and just still take the standard deduction because you're already getting a significant tax benefit by not realizing your RMD is taxable income. 
And so when it, when you think about RMDs, you either need to take the distribution and be taxed on it, or you need to take a qualified charitable distribution and give it to charity. Uh, I mentioned my first two points are related. Here's why. If you're taking, let's just say you're taking, I don't know, $12,000 a month from your IRA and your required minimum distribution is $100,000. Well, in month nine, you're going to pass $100,000. You will have totally, you know, check the box for taking your full RMD. So now the, the window to do a QCD, to do a charitable distribution is closed because whatever comes out of your IRA first counts toward your RMD. Um, so if you want to do a qualified charitable distribution and if you're giving to charity at all and you're at RMD age, that should absolutely be in your plan emphatically. Uh, you need to, you need to, you know, know that in January and plan that out before you take a bunch of distributions. Got it. Well, I'm glad this podcast is going live in February. Yes. Great point. Just one month behind. That's all right. <laughs> Got it. But by doing this QCD, you kind of front load your kind of accelerate your gifting, reduce your taxable income. And then having that lower income tax year could be a good time to maybe realize some more income or accelerate some income or do some rebalancing as, as necessary. So qualified charitable distributions sound like a great way, another tool in the tool belt, if you will, if you're already in RMD mode and they're getting, they're getting out of hand, maybe relative to what you need to take from the account for, uh, for distributions. Justin, before we hopped on, you were also talking about something related to uh, variable annuities. And I know you've spent more time in the life insurance annuity sales route. So I'm not even going to pretend to understand all the nuances there, but what about, how do, uh, how do variable annuities kind of fit all in all this? Yep. So there is almost a, a trick in uh, quotation marks here. So you could theoretically use a variable annuity with an income rider to functionally get you to a lower RMD. Um, now, you know, is it absolutely in your best interest to go purchase an annuity now uh, to do this? I'm not necessarily sure that that's the case. Um, but I mean, we've had a client, Jared, where before they found us, uh, they were with another advisor who sold them a few annuities. Uh, and so what we did is, you know, we looked at each policy individually, mapped out, okay, what really is in your best interest? Uh, should you exchange these into something else? Should you just transfer these out of an annuity? Uh, and we had to really map it out against its surrender schedule uh, to avoid excessive fees on the way out. And that's usually the, the tension with annuities. Typically, they just are really high fee. Um, is good to know that Vanguard and Fidelity have very low cost annuities. And so if you have an old annuity that you purchased 20 years ago, that should be on your horizon to review the policy, see if it makes sense to do an exchange, uh, avoid taxation, do an exchange to a Fidelity or Vanguard annuity with significantly lower fees. But back to the point, um, you know, we have this client who had several annuities. We mapped out a plan um, to kind of get to significantly lower fees within the annuities and in some cases get out of them entirely. But one of the annuities was with qualified dollars. Uh, so it was a retirement account. It was an IRA inside of the IRA. A variable annuity was purchased. The variable annuity had an income writer. Um 
I do not want to turn this into an hour-long podcast, so I'm going to try to be brief here. Feel free to reach out to us if you have a little bit more detailed questions on the structure, functionality, and options within variable annuities. But briefly, a variable annuity has a contract value. And so there is some sort of market value that that annuity is worth. And then this annuity, like many, had an income rider. And so at a certain age, the client had the opportunity to opt in to a stream of income that was guaranteed for as long as he was living. Now, let's play this out. So he opts into the income rider. He now has a guaranteed source of income that he's, he's receiving these distributions the same amount every year for the rest of his life. And he's paying a fee for that income rider. But the reason he's doing that is because that guarantees that he gets that income, even if the annuity becomes worthless. And so over time, that actually is what will happen. So the annuity has significant fees uh, and he's now taking annual checks from it. So he's taking income from it. So every year, the annuity is paying the internal fees and the policy, and it's sending him, him income. So the result of this is 10 years in, the actual account balance is very low. Um, so the account balance is just eroding every year. But it doesn't really matter because it's really used as an income annuity. He's got an income rider. So even though the account balance is just dwindling really close to zero, he's going to get the same income check every year for as long as he lives. So why is that relevant with RMDs? Well, in his situation, he also had a large, significant IRA. And so with his, with his variable annuity, with an income rider, he turns on the income rider. He's taking income. And like I mentioned, five years, 10 years, 15 years later, that annuity is going to become worth much, much less. But his income amount stays the exact same. Go back to the first five minutes of the podcast. We mentioned, even if you have two or three IRAs, you've got to calculate the balance on December 31st of the prior year, every single year to determine your total RMD. And so he now has two IRAs, the annuity and a large IRA um, that we manage. And so to figure out what his RMD is, we have to take the balance of the IRA that we manage and the annuity IRA. And so the annuity IRA, that thing is cratering. It's getting lower and lower every year, but his distribution is staying the same. That means that the RMD that he has to take from the IRA we manage is less. And so in summary, it is something that, uh, one, you could potentially investigate. Two, if you have a bunch of existing annuities that, that you've been sold or accumulated over the years, it may fit into your plan and it may be a better option than paying a surrender charge to get out of the annuity. Um, but kind of a, a weird little subtle nuance that could be relevant within RMDs. Awesome. So yeah, it sounds like between this variable annuity strategy, if you have them in QCDs, there's not a million things you could do, but there are some things you could do to kind of manage and, and understand that liability. Justin, Ooh, let's- Jared, real quick. Yeah, go ahead. One last point on QCDs. Okay, the RMD age used to be 70 and a half. But when it was 70 and a half, you could take that RMD in January, even if you weren't 70 and a half yet. You might be 69 and seven months old. But in that calendar year, you were going to turn 70 and a half. So in that case, you could take your RMD in January. 
But for QCDs, you cannot commence a qualified charitable distribution. You cannot start any QCD until you are actually 70 years, 70.5 years old. You actually have to reach that age in order to do a QCD. It cannot be a case where you're not 70 yet, but you're going to turn 70 and a half later that year. Interesting. Very, very little, interesting little nuance. I think, yeah, in summary, could make sense if you have existing ones, not definitely not any sort of recommendation. And there's lots of nuance and these are infamous for being very high fees, but worth looking at in part of your comprehensive income plan. So Justin, let's kind of pivot and talk to like, let's talk about, okay, we're talking about up to this point, we're talking about income tax optimization for the account owner, right? If you have a high IRA balance, there's likely going to be inheritors of that IRA, or this is really where it becomes pertinent to young accumulators with parents with significant IRAs. How do you how do you begin to think about this in terms of an asset to be passed down and and, and inheriting this asset? How does that how does that come into into the like how does it impact the planning related to all this? Great question. Okay, a few ways. First, do you have one kid or do you have five kids? So the number of children that you have is going to make, make a huge, it's, it's going to really influence, uh, one, how large of an IRA you can have. It's, it's also going to influence who should be the primary beneficiary on that IRA over different ages. So here's what I mean. Uh, if you have one or two children, and let's say that both, let's say you have two kids, both kids are really successful adults on their own, um, and they have high incomes themselves, you know, in that case, you should be pretty mindful and and be even more aggressive with Roth conversions early on uh, because they're going to inherit IRA accounts. They're going to have to take out the entire IRA within 10 years, and they're already facing high incomes themselves. So they're going to pay a ton of taxes on this IRA that they inherit. Now, if you have five kids, um, you got a little bit more wiggle room. So you do need to be mindful of the risk that, hey, one spouse could pass away and then the surviving spouse could be a single taxpayer. Uh, And so you may want to, at maybe age 75, make the five children a partial primary beneficiary so that they have two 10-year windows and so that the biggest risk to you is your surviving spouse as a single taxpayer just pays way more taxes than necessary. That would help that dynamic. That would help that risk. Um, so the 10 year inherited rule is going to be a big one, uh, regardless of the number of kids that you have. Um, so understanding just how high of an income do each of your children have, uh, is it okay for them to inherit IRA assets or would it be better for them to inherit taxable assets, taxable brokerage assets instead? Also quick note on QCDs again, uh, qualified charitable distributions could be a fantastic tool if you inherit an IRA, um, but you are eligible you as an inheritor, so you inherit your parents' IRA, you are eligible to make qualified charitable distributions. And that can suffice as your RMD if the original account owner had already commenced their RMDs. So you can make QCDs if the original owner had already started RMDs. And let's see, I, I, I just think that could be a big, big point. If you're inheriting an account and your parent had already started required minimum distributions, if you are chari- if you're making any charitable gifts, you want to kind of make sure you're doing it in the most optimal way possible. Um, so QCDs very much could make sense there. 
Jared, any other kind of inherited IRA planning points that we need to call out here? No, I would just I just reiterate how important the 10-year rule is, right? Like it is created, we've talked about this in a prior episode, the tax time bomb, if you will, right? And so like, like you need to think about, okay, where where is your income going to be uh, when you potentially inherit these assets, right? Uh, and it's for non-spouse beneficiaries. So the spouse can take it over their lifetime, but eventually it's going to pass to a non-spouse. So Justin, what you talked about, about bifurcating, hey, I'm going to have the kids as partial beneficiaries so they get two 10-year windows because it's very likely that both spouses don't uh, pass away at the same time. So you get two, essentially two windows to kind of say that, hey, what, what's my future tax rate, right? And hey, maybe I should spend, maybe my kids are in the highest marginal tax bracket uh, maybe I spend down my retirement assets more aggressively and let my tax taxable assets grow because they get a step up in basis at that time, right? And so, you know, it is really, there's this dance of understanding, hey, what does my income tax picture look like? What does my kid's income tax picture look like? Uh, and how do I spread out, you know, the tax liability over a longer period of time? You know, I guess one of the big cheats for managing inherited RMDs uh, is, having having a large family or having more descendants right because the, the yeah. more the, the the further you split that pie uh the the less tax burden it is on one inheritor you know and jared it's just amazing whenever you dive into the weeds of a lifetime tax rate you think about mapping out retirement income just basic financial planning at a, at a done at an excellent level it is just there is a spotlight on your first five to ten years of retirement Unless, you know, if, you, if you've got a half decade more of big RSU years, then maybe it's 10 to 15 years. But your first five to 10 years of retirement, I mean, there's just a spotlight on there because the difference in outcomes 30 years later is just wild when you think about, well, should I take from my IRA? Should I drain my cash first? Uh, I've got some embedded capital gains. Should that be my focus? Take away those taxable brokerage accounts, spend those first, fill up 0% cap gains. So your strategy between do I spend my IRA? Do I spend my brokerage accounts? Uh, do I do Roth conversions or do I try to harvest 0% capital gains or do I do family gifting? Uh, the decisions you make in the first five, 10 years just have a wild impact on the balance of each of those accounts 25 years later. That's exactly right. And I think, right, that's a good place to like kind of wrap it up because like RMDs are just one of those things where you know they're coming and they can make a substantial difference to your family's balance sheet or your balance sheet. Um, so like it's never too early to start developing an income plan. And even if, you know, your parents are in this scenarios, decisions they are making today are likely going to impact your future income tax picture. So it's worth, you know, having a coordinated, I think in, when the dollars get really big, multi-generational strategy, right? Uh, thinking through all of this, but we would love to hear kind of your thoughts or questions about required minimum distributions and how they might impact you or your situation. Also love just hearing from our listeners in general. Notice the number of listeners is ticking up. So we appreciate you following along. And if you have any ideas or questions for future episodes, podcast at brownleewealthmanagement.com. Thanks. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to this episode of the podcast. You can subscribe or connect with us at brownleewealthmanagement.com or send ideas for future episodes to podcast at brownleewealthmanagement.com. Thanks, and we'll see you next time.
This podcast is for informational purposes only. Nothing discussed during this show or episode should be viewed as investment, legal, and tax advice. If you have questions pertaining to your specific situation, please consult the appropriate qualified professional.